We know that you want to know about fermentation. And who better to ask than the author of five fermentation books and co-founder of the fermentation school, Kirsten Schocke. With over 20 years' experience of fermentation, Kirsten has so much to share that will inform, enlighten and frankly change the way you eat. Hear how she got started, the answers to the most common questions she gets, how fermentation deepens us as humans, why women are so valuable as part of the tradition and all about the course she's filmed that'll get fermented foods onto your and even your sceptical family's plates at every single meal. And check out the link in the show notes. It will take you to the course we talk about with a special podcast discount already applied. Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen Podcast with Allison, a European town dweller in central Italy, and Andrea living on a newly created family farm in Northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Hello, Allison. Good morning. Hi. Good afternoon, Andrea. How are you doing? I'm well, and welcome to our guest, Kirsten Shockey. Super stoked to have you on the podcast today, Kirsten. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So many of you will know Kirsten already because she is a master fermenter. She started fermenting over two decades ago, and she is the author of five fermentation books, as well as being the co-founder of the Fermentation School, which is a virtual hub of fermentation learning where she teaches many courses as well. Thank you for coming and talking to us today, Kirsten. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, always always nice to chat about fermentation. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> so the first question we always ask both each other and our guest is what did you last eat before hopping on to record today <laughs> well um it was i i haven't eaten breakfast this morning but it, it was uh thanks or thanksgiving it was it was halloween last night but i didn't have any candy <laughs> i actually had a um beautiful chicken chicken soup Wow. Did you put that any ferments in with it? You know, I I would have if I was at home, but I was um at a at my uh, I guess let's see, my daughter-in-law's grandparents' house and she cooked the food. We live way out in the middle of nowhere, so in order to support the grandchildren trick or treating, <laughs> we have to go find a subdivision. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> And so that was our that was our you know city life kind of adventure. Um, the meal before that though was breakfast, and I had um, a wonderful bowl of sautéed uh, last of the garden vegetables and um, just some plain sauerkraut on top. I've been kind of into plain sauerkraut lately, which is kind of funny. Every once in a while, I go back to just that real basic flavor. <laughs> yeah, well, there are Classic. so many flavors in sauerkraut that 
you just and for me every batch is slightly different you've got different cabbages and I've left it for a different length of time it's something slightly different and I and I taste new things every time I try it for sure for sure I'm really excited we we um got some local cabbages the other day that as soon as I just cut the cabbage in half the the um liquid the water in it just started dripping out I've never seen one quite that juicy so I'm excited to see what it will taste like when Allison kind of started giving me some of the rundown on your story which is amazing and I feel like there's so many questions I want to ask you that have nothing to do with fermenting (laughs) we we also live far away we also there's nowhere to go trick-or-treating around here if we wanted to we also heat our house with wood um wood stove we also homeschool three kids like (laughs) nice so many things that I love about what you're doing but can you tell us how and when did you start fermenting yeah so I started fermenting um with goats and cows moving onto the property nice. <laughs> um, and and large old ancestral, not ancestral, that's, that's the wrong world, but heritage um, apple trees. I mean, these guys are huge and, you know, for here, very old, um, probably 150 years old. Um, let's see, that was, that was 25 years ago now. And um, yeah, so my first ferments, I wasn't really thinking of as ferments. I was culturing milk and making a lot of cheese every day and, and yogurt and, and all the, all the things. Um, but it's funny because at that point in time, you know, I, I didn't think of it till recently that we weren't using the word fermentation the way we are now and people weren't right. fermenting as a thing. Right. And so I was just, you know, trying to to make cheese. I was I was dairying which there were no there were no people doing that around here. I just really the, the internet wasn't what it is now. Um so it just really felt like reinventing the wheel and trying to find what was out there, you know, in library books and there weren't a lot of now there's a lot of wonderful library books or not library books, but any books on dairying, but there, there wasn't. And then simultaneously, um, we had apples and, and we were making cider and we were freezing it all as sweet cider. And, and at some point it was like, it was just these apple trees, you know, are huge and it was just too much. Um, and so we started making, um, cider, um, in the U.S., they call it hard cider. The rest of the world, it's cider is fermented. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so we started to make cider and, of course, vinegar from that. So those were my first ferments. And it wasn't until um, a few years later that I actually started fermenting vegetables again um, due to trying to... Uh, preserve the abundance of the garden in the best way possible. Um, I had four kids at home at the time homeschooling and it, it, I was, I felt passionate at that time. I don't really know why I was led to feel that way. Um, but that they knew where their food came from. And that was, that felt like a huge lesson that, that needed to happen. So we definitely dug in to all of that. (laughs) Did you find a, a big difference in your health when you started fermenting stuff or was it just because you wanted to use the produce and that's kind of what drove you and that's what you focused on? 
Mm-hmm. Um, yes, part B. I uh, I can't say that. I mean, we were we were young, and I I you know didn't have any real health issues that I was aware of anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was just uh, we moved these foods into our life, and um, I'm sure. I'm healthier now for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So you said you didn't come to vegetables until much later, but you have, um, you've got your fermented vegetables book and you've got fiery ferments, which has got a lot of vegetables on. Do you, do you still like to go and ferment dairy and cider? Are those your favorite ferments or are veg ferments your favorite ferments? <laughs> well, once a year, um, Definitely, we need to deal with the apples, and so cider is just a given. Um, uh, but I prefer making it to vinegar. I've, I've really um, become a huge vinegar fan. Um, so we had a um, small fermentation company, and vegetables is what we fermented. I, um, you know, part of my my the kind of the evolution of this homestead dream at some point. You know, at first we just brought bought the property and moved out to the woods. I wanted my children, like I said, to be connected with where their food came from. Um, but even more so, I wanted them to be connected with the earth and with the ground that, you know, and, and the trees and all of that. And so that was the original genesis for moving here. Um, as that developed, as we had big gardens and all the things, um, Christopher, my husband, was working remotely back when that was definitely not a thing that was done. Um, and it was really hard on his career. Um, and so we, you know, we, we always had this kind of dream in the back of our head that, oh, there's got to be a way to make the homestead into something that would be financially viable. And and maybe he could, uh, stop, um, you know, working for a large corporation to make all this happen. And, um, so the, the idea was this, once I started fermenting vegetables, it's like, wow, this is easy. Um, it was 2009. Um, and I just, I mean, I'd been fermenting them for much longer, but in 2009, I was like, why? The kids were getting old enough that some were on their, off to college and some were teenagers. And I thought, well, it could be a little family business, which, um, was great for about a year and a half. Um, super successful, I loved working with the local farmers to take care of their overages or their, um, you know, their seconds or things that were about to go. I mean, I was kind of doing that that full utilization, zero waste idea back with the farmers then when that wasn't also a, <laughs> a phrase, a catch catchphrase. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a lot of fun just saying, this is, you know, this is this week's ferment when I went to the market. Um and we had a regular steady supply of customers. Things were selling well. That wasn't the problem. The problem was, one, um, we live in a small area. And to get to the point where we were actually making money, like, you know, and able to pay ourselves would have required scaling up and going in being part of a food system that wasn't ever my intention. I really wanted to keep it very, very local. The time I was really good friends with uh, professional kraut makers in 
both San Francisco and Washington State. And uh, the one in San Francisco, she could get cabbages at that time for, you know, in season for, you know, anywhere from 60 to 90, organic, 60 to 90 cents a pound. And my local cabbages were never less than 250 a pound. And so there were just Gosh. so many reasons that wasn't going to work. And meanwhile, I had started to teach teach folks because people were interested at the at the market stand, you know, and they were curious. And so I'd bring people out to our kitchen, our commercial kitchen out here that um, we had and teach classes. And and the, that first book was really born from that. I was trying to take everything that people asked and everything that seemed to scare people and put it in a, in a place. And I was honestly much more interested in playing with flavor than you know, making the same three flavors over and over again to to distribute it, you know, across the across the Northwest. Yeah, that makes sense. I um, when I was doing the thirty day course, which we'll talk about a bit later, I read something you wrote in there, which was that you had um, someone else who was at the market with you, and that the sauerkraut brine shots kind of took off to the point where those were being sold. And he was making sauerkraut to make brine and the sauerkraut itself was a byproduct. And it seemed a, a crazy example of how something that, you know, you in, in your heart know works so beautifully when it's on the farm with the local produce, feeding a family and feeding your friends, right to the kind of taking it to market and having it become something trendy and it, just recounting that story, I never would have believed that someone would have been making sauerkraut to sell the brine, not the sauerkraut. I know. Isn't that crazy? And then they would uh, squeeze, 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 squeeze it. And then the dried up, um, not dried up, but the, you know, the very dry sauerkraut then was actually sent to pigs. So the whole thing was yeah. just wow. ridiculous. <laughs> Absolutely bonkers. So lots of people who listen to the podcast ferment. Some of them have been doing it for a long time. Some of them are only just starting. And a lot of the questions that Andrew and I get are about fermentations. And there there are so many different questions. I wonder from all your kind of working at home and then teaching loads of classes and going online with your classes, what are the questions you most often get about fermentation? You know, there there's still after all these years, still fear-based. Um, it's still, you know, um, less of a question, but sort of a statement. I don't want to kill my family. Mm -hmm. I don't want to kill anybody with yeah. this. And and yeah. what they're really saying all is I'm time. scared <laughs> all the time, right, Andrea? <laughs> all the time. And it's like, so I think the, the questions still are around the safety and, and just getting folks past what has been drummed into our heads and, you know, our parents' heads before that in the last however many years, you know, that, that all microbes are, are germs. So mm -hmm. moving, moving past that, I think that's, that's really at the top. <laughs> and do you have something that you've said to people like hundreds of times about that, that you can hand to the people who are listening <laughs> whose, you know, partner might go to them, you're going to be killing me with this ferment. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I quote Frank 
uh, Frank, Fred Bright, um, USDA microbiologist, and he just, you know, he says nobody has ever died from properly fermented vegetables. Yep. And usually we laugh at the word properly. And then I explain um, <laughs> that when ferments go bad, they will absolutely let you know they're bad. They're not. Mm. There's no hidden, lurking, tasteless, odorless thing like there is in botulism. Um you know, they will let you know. They're they're gross. They it smells bad. I mean, yes. all your senses say, do not put me in your mouth. So um yeah, we, we joke about it and and then I, you know, explain the science and, and acidity and what's going on. <laughs> I love that yeah. answer because both with canning and with fermenting, people literally ask me that all the time. And those that exact phrase, I don't want to kill my family, which is a fair point. Nobody wants to kill their family. But I always tell them, well, if you really want to be super, super safe, just ferment things. You'll right. Be safe. And I said the same thing. Nobody can convince you to eat it when it's going bad. Like you could not be convinced to eat it. You know. So true. <laughs> you so were true. here because your ancestors <laughs> fermented <laughs> yeah. and they knew not to eat it when it was and bad. Was like, yeah. <laughs> yep. So, of course, this is the perfect segue to my my favorite question, which is, can you tell us about a fermentation disaster, something that went wrong in your experience? Oh, I know. I, I, there's <laughs> locked them out, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, in a way there's, in a way there's so many and in a way, um, to me, uh, I don't know. Trying to form my words around this, but to me, you know, like I get what's going on, so nothing ever feels disastrous. Like mm -hmm. usually, it's totally. a result of it being a neglected child, and you go in there and you're like, "Oh man, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> I, I so I don't. I guess I just don't have those, like you know, explosive tales. Although you know. I I've only had one bottle explode on me and it was a um wow. It was a ginger bug where I'd let oh, too yeah. much air get into the bottle and not um burped it enough and so I think to me those you know and then you then you come into the kitchen and you're like oh my god if somebody would have been standing in here you know that's <laughs> that's probably like the most disaster as in like somebody could have actually gotten hurt. Um, but yeah, most of my disasters are like, wow, that's stinky. <laughs> or that, right. that was really ignored. I'm sorry. <laughs> disasters are kind of anticlimactic with ferments because everything moves so slowly. <laughs> it's so true. But but something that I had that I thought was kind of great, it was a, it was a tempeh fail. I don't remember... Like if I think that it just, you know, didn't knit together nicely and and so I put it out on the compost and um it's covered pile and it was so lovely. I had other things out there, you know, deadhead from flowers and and things. And I lifted the lid a few days later and that environment was perfect and the whole top of the oh. compost had become a basically a cake of tempeh. <laughs> so I don't think that wow. is a disaster, but it was pretty cool. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. I think it would have fed some worms oh. really nicely. They would have been like, oh, this is, this is unusual. We like it. 
<laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think the way you describe your disasters is insightful for people too, because um, again, if you think about our ancestors, the only way they survived was they didn't say, well, that smelled bad. I guess it's just the grocery store for me from now on. They said, well, that smelled bad. Jeez, I really want to eat. So let's figure something out. And I love that, you know, you just keep creatively using those things to learn. Like you said, oh, I let too much air in. I didn't burp it enough. You know, you took data from that, which is the way we should be doing things. Um, and, so- and that's the thing I do try to tell people is if you, once you understand, and it doesn't take much to understand, it just takes kind of paying attention and, and you know, walking through those ferments. But once you understand what's going on and you are connected in that way, um, and that can be however you view the world. It can be in more of a sort of a woo-woo way, or it can be in in more of a scientific way, like Mm -hmm. these are the lactobacillus, this is what they need, this is what they're doing. These are the um, yeasts, this is what they need, this is what they're doing. You give anybody sugar, they love it. Um, (laughs) But once you once you have a bit of that connection and you understand the, that the dials that you do have control of because you don't have control of the fermentation, um, you know, which are dials, of course, are temperature, it's basically the environment, salt, um, and things like that. Once you get that, then it it opens it up. It's so much easier to not feel like I I did this is a real aside I'm sorry but I really did have somebody tell me that they couldn't understand why some ferments worked and some didn't on some days and they kind of got it down to when they were wearing a certain pair of socks those days the ferments worked and I was like (laughs) right (laughs) and I was like okay so let's start with how the microbes work and you know (laughs) So once you have that concept of of the environment and what they need, like the world is your oyster. It's it's yeah. just you can keep playing, playing and turning yeah. tiles. Maybe their ferments worked on the days they were the fuzzy or the like thin socks because they were the days their house was nice and warm. And everything there you go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I like the fact that you use the word connection um, a lot because. It, that's what it's about, you know, that the, you said your fermentation disasters, in quotes, happen when you, you've kind of neglected your ferments and feels to me like the fermentation process is about connection, that the more intimate you get and the list, you know, you don't have to give a lot of time, but just to give your thoughts to what you're fermenting a little bit so you remember to go back and check it or burp it or feed it or whatever it needs doing then it kind of becomes part of you and your life you're connected to it and it moves along and it develops as your life moves along you know while you're Mm -hmm. there going about your day all the things are bubbling and and carrying on and they're connected with you in really it feels like an intimate process to me like that for sure and I do feel like you know for folks that don't um, don't live in a space where they, um, you know, can go out and connect on a daily basis with just, you know, nature or, or whatever. It is a wonderful way to kind of bring the ecosystem and the, you know, in this little, in this little jar, you've got, you've got so much, so much of, of 
the larger whole going on. Great point. I never thought about it that way, creating your own little barnyard in a jar. <laughs> mm-hmm, for sure. <laughs> so with all this amazing experience, um, can you tell me, I had actually heard of the fermentation school before, um, before Allison was telling me about it. So I, I certainly was aware of you out in the ether. Um, but could you tell me a little bit about, you alluded some to it in the beginning, but why you started the fermentation school and what is the aim or the goal of the fermentation school? Yeah, absolutely. So the fermentation school was, you know, 100% uh, COVID pivot. Um, I'd gotten to the point where I really was traveling all over um, the world to ferment with people, which, um, you know, was both wonderful and for me horrifying. I'd, I've spent a lot of time, you know, not driving places and not going places, um, just to keep my footprint a little lighter on this planet. And, um, you know, there I was in the, um, concept or guise or whatever of, of trying to help make the planet a better place sitting on airplanes a lot. Um, so I'd been, I'd been wanting to do online classes for a long time, but the thought of talking into a camera and doing that just always, you know, I mean, we were, so many people are uncomfortable with that and I'm one of them. (laughs) And so, you know, really when we were at home, um, Christopher and I, who Christopher's done a lot of this with me, um, we taught ourselves. He taught he taught himself the the whole videoing and editing and and all of that. And I, um, you know, got over myself and started putting classes out there. And simultaneously, a good friend of mine, uh, Meredith Lee, was doing the same um, with her charcuterie and butchery and and all the classes that that she had been also traipsing around the world to do. And sh- we had individual platforms and it, at some point really early on we were we decided that it makes so much more sense, um, especially as so much was being thrown out there on the internet, you know, to have um, this collaboration of trying to to find one place to put our energy into so that um, more voices pointing to one spot instead of more voices just trying to get heard. Um, and yeah, so that was that was the the genesis of the together part and then it it immediately, was and we should add more more women um, to this and and really make it something besides just you know her and I trying to hot classes. I think um, you know early on and it's still in my my dream world um, is that so we we set up as a as a benefits corporation um, the idea being triple bottle bottom line and that, you know, there's, there's good coming out of it as well. Um, and we want to, of course, support the voices of, of independent 
educators and, and all of that, but we also um, would love to have a, um, a fund for kind of taking that further, and that could be somebody you know, can write to us. Right now it's it's just small enough we can offer scholarships, but um, I'd love it to be something where we sponsor people to, you know, teach classes in, the, in you know, food deserts or their, their area where they need, you know, just help getting some cutting boards and bowls and, and jars together or whatever, you know, um, just real small grants to, to continue that idea of, um, the fermentation education just just moving out there like mycelium growing. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that that's really a long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I love that. It's fabulous. I've got another question on it. Why is it that you've chosen to just have women teachers or people who identify as women teaching in the school? What's the significance of that? Um, you know, I I think we just... As women in the space, both of us have been pushed aside for the, um, you know, the chef or the butcher or the male um, colleague who, while they're amazing, wonderful creators, you know, whoever whoever that might be, um, you know, it just felt like um, women are such the bearers of this ancestral knowledge and mm. and we wanted to kind of sort of shine a light on that 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 um because I feel like the men that are out there doing great things with with all the subjects are doing great things and um you know the women just get as in many places just a little little less voice <laughs> and so that was I think I think that and, and just that whole idea of, of the women as keepers of the ancestral knowledge traditionally and bringing that into the ethos. Yeah, I think, I mean, if people go to your site, which is fermentationschool.com, um, you just see there, just a, it's a growing list of teachers, but already there are so many teachers on there providing such a breadth of knowledge over various ferments. And it, it feels like a really beautiful celebration of women fermenting and the, the variety. And I certainly feel as a teacher that you said earlier, you know, rather than lots of little voices kind of trying to get this information out there, how wonderful it is, it feels like this sort of vibrant hub of teachers who all have different areas that they love that are that are coming together and sharing the information in one place which is feels so much more powerful than certainly I felt as an individual um sort of in my corner saying oh this is what I ferment and this is what I do it coming together there's a much wider breadth of knowledge and information available to people who want to ferment it's just it's it's really wonderful yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's and and then part of it, part of what we, you know, didn't didn't know, but what we ended up doing, Meredith and I is is really supporting um women who who you know, just just need help to figure out either how to how to get the class made or 
um, you know, how to market themselves or, or all of that. And so it, it feels good to do that in this gig society um, that we've, you know, found ourselves in, you know, used to be you could be a writer and make a living. Um, and, and now you can't so much. I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, <laughs> the movie rights for fermented vegetables probably won't ever, <laughs> ever, ever come out. So, you know, I'm not that kind of writer, um, you know, and, and so many of, of the platforms and, and all the things, it's like they want it for free or you can write mm. for, you know, write, write for exposure. It's like, well, exposure, mm. you know, real talk here, right. exposure doesn't put groceries on the table. <laughs> Well, or pay the power bill. You know, it just doesn't. Um, and so I think um, that's another huge piece is we've got women who are, you know, moms and they can't go out and get a regular job, but they've got this wonderful knowledge and they've got passion and and how exciting to be able to help them support their family in a in a small way um, by mm. having this platform and offering that um, support and and we, you know, Meredith and I are also very inspired by all of all of the creators that that we work with. It's it's just wonderful to to hear new ideas and to have to have that. Um, and then partway through, I think last. Last January, um, we made it official, but um, another wonderful fermentation expert, Jory Jane, MD, she had her small little school, the School of Funk, love the name, um, and she, you know, had reached out to us about merging, and so um, there's, you know, Meredith and I are the original co-founders, but, but Jory has also come in with a lot of... Um, you know, kind of the same, it, from the same place that we came in, having created this school by herself originally as well. Mm. Mm, lovely. Tell the listeners what the courses that you're teaching are on the fermentation school. Okay, let's see what I can remember. Um, <laughs> I uh, teach from uh, Mastering Fermented Vegetables. I try to make sure you understand... Like, like I talked about earlier, you know, kind of understand what's going on so you can ferment anything you want. Um, so there's obviously recipes, but I really also try to um, go beyond recipes. It's kind of like the loaves, the loaves thing, you know, either give them bread or teach them to bake bread. So that's mm. kind of my hope there. Um, I, there's a, f- a fermented hot sauces class, same idea, um, a wild yeast class that called Flower Power. That's one of my favorites. Um, tempeh, a really complete tempeh class. Uh, um, oh, well, here's here, a vinegar class. So here's a here's an example. Jory, Jory is a, an amazing vinegar maker, and sh- her, her main courses on her site were vinegar courses. And so, um, you know, when she joined, obviously now there was two vinegar courses, and um, we put People can buy her courses or my my course, um, and it's really good because they're both very different. And so we bundled them together for people that didn't want to decide and wanted to kind of get both of our um, 
kind of angles on on it and have a vinegar bundle. So that's been another nice thing is bundling courses with other teachers. Um, sort of long-term, I'd love to see it as like a little fermentation university where you can actually take a track and, you know, maybe, maybe it's a soils track and you also get you know, with composting and, and soil building, you also get miso making. <laughs> anyway, um, I also teach a fermentation challenge. Um, I teach a miso class. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that's, that's about it. Oh, a garlic class, a fun little garlic class on all the, all the ways you can ferment some garlic. <laughs> So there's lots up there. If people go to the site, fermentationschool.com, and then there's a button on the homepage that says search course catalogue. And then there are some sorts at the top. So you could click on Kirsten's name and see all the courses that she has to offer. And there are also other ways of, of looking through the course catalogue, which is growing. Let's talk about the 30-day fermentation challenge now that you just mentioned, because this episode's going out in January, which feels like a really good time for people to make positive changes in, in their kitchen or their diet with their food. And Andrew and I have just completed the 30-day fermentation challenge course that you have on the site. It's amazing. This has and been an amazing <laughs> we we really loved it and we want to share with with the listeners kind of the scope of that course and why we think it's such a good introduction to but also push forward for people who've already started fermenting could you talk a little bit just about that 30 day course for us sure um yeah that was um it was a fun, a fun course to put together, um, and the idea was to, like you said, both for people that that want to step into it or that want to be, um, you know, want to want to try to get it. They they already ferment maybe a little bit, but they want to get it into their life as a habit. Um, hence the 30 days, sort of that everyday kind of idea. Um, and then also for people that just, you know, want to do something fun and get some new ideas. But the idea being that um, to include a little bit of something fermented in your life every day is not, it's not hard. It sounds daunting, um, but it's not hard. And so in the in the challenge... I thought it would be nice to make a couple of simple ferments that are, um, you know, basic. Um, and also, I set it up so that at some point you're making some sauerkraut, but you can also buy the sauerkraut to start using it um, in ways. And the reason, you know, I did that is I wanted to show people also that you don't always have to you know, start from zero and make your own. Of course, it's wonderful to make your own, but but if you're just trying to get these foods to be part of your lifestyle, um, you know, you, you want to start where you're at. Um, so the idea is just to really have this gentle um, introduction um, and little kind of walk through, you know, fermentation in in 
what is possible. Before I ask Andrea about what her favourite bits of the course were, I want to, so I don't forget, I want to tell the listeners that there's a 10% discount um, available to listeners on Kirsten's course. Uh, if you go to fermentationschool.com and when you put it into your basket, put in the discount code AKP, all caps, for standing for Ancestral Kitchen Podcast, AKP, and you will get 10% off that course. And actually, you will get 10% off any of the courses on the Fermentation School. So if another one catches your eye as well, you can get a discount on that. Andrea, talk about um, your favourite bits of the course, because both of us have, have gone through all of it and have been talking about what we like and what we want to bring into our kitchens. Yeah. Well, what I love about the course, and I was telling Alison this, is that it's exactly what you said, Kristen. If you are a proficient fermenter. I mean, I don't I think Allison and I both been fermenting for I don't know, at least 10 or 15 years and yet there's things in here that you made that I've never made before. So, um but also if you had never fermented anything, you could start this and you really explain everything in a non-complex, non-fear-based way. Um, that makes it a really good introduction to fermenting. So just so people know, she's covering the range in here, the like the cider kefir fermented oats, which of course Allison and I are huge fans of, mm -hmm. um, soaking beans even, and then your hummus, which is fantastic. The kimchi. I opened up the course on the computer so I could scroll through it and there's just ah, there's so many things on here. So um if you love good food and something Allison and I always say is when you're trying to eat really nutritious, nutrient dense food on a budget, a great way, again, from the wisdom of our ancestors to do that is to ferment it because you will literally get more out of the same cabbage that you bought when you ferment it. Um, then I think this would be the perfect start. Yeah. yeah perfect and start that's continuation. such a good point is you get so much more out of the food that you're eating. <laughs> Right. The um the two things that um there were two things in the course that you suggested buying in because they're not involved in the course, but that kind of piqued my curiosity and, and gave me new ideas. The natto and the tempeh. Now I know you've actually written a book that includes tempeh and natto. I've never act I've never tried those ferments. And listening to how you you've used them, because I think part of it was I didn't really know how to use them. So I didn't know what to do with natto. I kind of, I'd seen it on the shelf in the health food store, but I was just like, how can I eat this? And there are recipes in the course for using it, some of the which are quite un unorthodox that then makes me think, oh, well, I could use it for this and I could use it for this. And uh -huh. also tempeh, I've never, I've never used or even, you know, tasted. Really? And seeing you get enthusiastic about tempeh in the course has made me want to just... To start with, just to go and find some that an expert has already made and I can purchase and then to kind of bring that in and see, you know, how, how I like the taste, how I like to, to serve it. And you go through how to how to serve tempeh in, in it. So as well as giving, you know, like recipes for kimchi where you, you've got your hands in and there's videos showing how to do it, you're right that it's a lot of it is giving new ideas and as well as as Andrew I agree that it gave me lots of new ideas the other thing that I liked about it was the idea of like you say including it in your everyday life 
And a lot, a lot of the questions that Andrew and I get are from women whose families are not used to this kind of thing. And so they'll, they'll be completely on board with, oh, I, I've made some sauerkraut, I've made some kimchi, but I can't get my husband to eat it or I'm not sure how to get my children to eat it. And early on in the course, one of your um, suggestions, one of the recipes is to mix the, um, one of the ferments up with some cream cheese. And I didn't, never even thought of doing that, but to kind no, of soften the flavour and then to spread <laughs> yeah. it on some, some, you know, familiar bread. I just think it's a fabulous way to, to present a ferment to someone right. who perhaps is a little bit suspicious of the flavour. And, and it feels like all the way through the course, you know, you're, you're helping us to, to make these ferments part of our life rather than just oh we've got this project that we're going to do on the side and that's that done yes, actually I eating agree. it and sharing it with our families yes. and and our, you know our, our friends every day um was that a specific that was a specific intention when you started to try and sort of s- soften those bits that are sometimes hard to get across oh 100 percent. I mean that that would be you know when you go back to the earlier question, what's what do I get most often? That that would be right after that is how do I how do I use these these foods? And I I have to say I am I give everybody permission to to covertly add ferments to whatever they can think of adding ferments to um, because you heard it here first. People. <laughs> <laughs> I am not. I am not above hiding things in food. Um, you know, obviously, I'm not going to hide something that is um, going to hurt anybody. Or, but you know, for my family, I know what everybody can eat and and what right. right. And and I. Um, I know that the microbes will eventually win, right? Because mm. our cravings come from from what's who who who's kind of camped out and living in our microbiome, mm. um, not from us. And so, if you start sneaking some of those ferments in, you know, your your body will eventually start start craving them, and so you can get you know more obvious with them at some point, but <laughs> start saying that you're, you, you're that's what you're eating. Um, yeah. anyway, you, yeah, you I'm, actually... I'm completely on board with <laughs> chopping things and putting them in very familiar foods. I, yes. um, I feel like meeting people where they're at. And so like you mentioned, natto and natto is a very difficult food for Western palates. It's a wonderful traditional you know, I mean, that's the thing too. Is is to go off on a little tangent. Is soy has a um, a bad rap in the Western world for the most part, and it isn't a great food unfermented. But fermented, it's a completely different food. Um, and like natto, for example, has you know the high, it's the highest form of vitamin K that you can get in an it sleeps and bounds over or K2 over what we can get out of kind of a similar ferment, which is, you know, if, if is cheeses, you know, natto has sort of nutty coffee flavors. Um, but it also has kind of flavors like a, 
like a aged brie or common bear or something like that. Um, you know, a stinky cheese. And so, so the way to start like introducing it, you know, it, its biggest issue I think is it's got a strong smell, like I said, like a stinky cheese, but, um, a challenging texture, you know, that there is a viscosity, uh-huh. um, a sliminess or, or whatever you want to call it, um, that niba niba, the strings. But if you, you know, chop that, chop a little bit of natto up and now put that into, you know, some kind of um, energy ball, you know, or, or something with, you know, lots of good nuts and good fats and this, that, and the other, and some, some dried fruit, you will not taste it. And it will, you know, those little strings, if you find them, will kind of have that same thing that a um, cliff bar has, you know, sort of that, that stringiness that comes in, in that case from the sugar. And so, you know, there's lots of ways to take vegetable ferments or, or, you know, more unusual ferments and just start putting them in to using them like an ingredient instead of that like front and center, that's, that's, I think where it gets scary or boring for people. If, if it's just like here, this is plopped on your plate every day, this sauerkraut, eat it. Cause you have to, um, you know, that, 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 um, this is medicine, not food, but turning that on its head a little bit and, and calling it an ingredient and making it part of what's making something else taste good. Yeah, it's also a great point going into, yeah, yeah, and going into the new year, since I'm sure a lot of people are going to be um, signing up for this course, you know, after they hear this in January, a lot of people have health goals going into a new year, but you're coming out of a standard American diet where your cravings have been shaped by processed, heavily processed foods, then taking this course and learning how to incorporate this stuff in a non- frightening non-gross way would be amazing to get those microbes to take over and you know exactly exactly and you know fighting the nature exactly and and you guys had mentioned the fermented oats and things like that i mean if you're if you're fermenting them overnight or in i've got two different kinds in there um one is a more um russian style and and one is just more of an overnight ferment but right. um you know both of them you're not changing the flavor so much um in a noticeable way but you're changing that structure of the food in ways that your body really notices right your so, body yeah. will know for sure so that non-threatening is 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 right on point. Yeah. Andrew, is there anything else you want to, to ask Kirsten? <laughs> well, there are lots of threads, <laughs> lots of Niba Niba threads yeah. there that I wanted to grab onto, but they would be a whole nother episode. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I won't, um, I won't do that, but I just find all of this really fascinating and, and down to the, you know, first of all the very structure of your school you know where all of us can come in from wherever we are like you said and not necessarily having to travel um and take these courses and I told Allison isn't it insane 
that somebody can go to your website and just get access to 20 years of your brain, you know, just like that, (laughs) like all that experience. Um, it's really valuable. And I know you've got five books out, I think. So if somebody wanted to have more fireside reading to support their fermenting, then she's got some, the cider book grabbed my attention immediately. (laughs) It is. Yeah. Yeah, there's, uh, I mean, that's, that's what I, I love about, um, the school and, and is that, that access that somebody can, can instantly access, you know, whoever's brain and, and have time with them. It's all self-paced and, Mm -hmm. um, lifetime access. And so the idea is that, you know, you can take it, take each of the classes um, at your pace. Although I have to say, since we've talked a lot about the 30-day course, that one is dripped out one day at a time. And so I did that um, on purpose so that people, you know, try to help people stick to that 30-day idea. Um, Obviously, they don't have to. They can just let it drip out and take it some other day. But the idea being that if um, I tried to set it up so that, you know, there were no surprises, I would warn you what's coming if you needed to know. But otherwise, um, you know, you didn't feel overwhelmed by what's coming either. Um, it wasn't all 30 days laid out. It was like, okay, today you're just going to go grocery shopping and you're going to get yourself ready. Yeah. You know, so... Um, so all but that course, um, you could, you could, you can binge through or you can take your time. (laughs) I feel like this is a good, Mm -hmm. oh, sorry, Allison. No, go on, go on. I was going to say, I feel like this course is a good place to start because when you go through your whole website, there's a ton of stuff on there. Mm -hmm. And when you go through here, it kind of gives you that framework to hang all those other things off of. Yeah. So you've already, you've. You've got your interest piqued by kimchi, and now you have 33 ideas of how you're going to use kimchi. And then if that's the thing that just really caught your eye in this course, go through and take a specific course on that one specific Mm. thing, you know, um, and just expand your knowledge on that, which I think is, I think that's a really cool feature of the whole school. That's kind of what I was going to say. We'll put a link to the course in the show notes but people can just go to fermentationschool.com and and search for it. But you can actually see um, a kind of a layout of the whole course. Um, so you can see kind of what's um, what's involved. And then when you, when you sign up before you start, you see day one and you get your first day information. And like Kirsten said, it's dripped out, but you can see what's coming over the next 30 days as well. So you can see right through to the, to the last day, which is a cake which I just watched today, which looks absolutely delicious with fermented cranberries on. Um, but you kind of, you can see what's coming. And then, like Andrea said, if if natto is something that piques your fancy, you can go off and, and, and go into that. But it does give you the kind of a, a structure to move forward with for fermenting, which I think is, is, a, is a great place to start as well. Okay. So... Um, I'll put the discount code AKP in the show notes. We'll put that in and we'll put a link to the course in. Where else can people find you, Kirsten, aside from the fermentation school? Um, yeah, so um, my my 
own website is ferment.works. Um, boy, if you scroll through there, you'll you'll see some very early stuff that I did. That, that uh, website's been around for for a long time. Um, and then uh, my books are available anywhere you buy books. I'm always um, uh, always like to remind folks to look for their local bookseller. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so there's, um, as you guys mentioned, there's five books. There's fermented vegetables, fiery ferments, um, and then at Miso Tempe Natto, which is a big book of, of all things grains and beans fermented. Um, also, each of the books has, uh, the back section is, is recipes of how to use these things once you've made them. Um, then we did a cider book. Uh, that's more Christopher's book. My my little vinegar chapter got kicked out and became its own vinegar book. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, that was kind of it. Was kind of a good thing after 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 all because then I got to open it up to all the things I can make vinegar yeah. with, not just, just apples. <laughs> right, right. No, I think that's awesome. Wonderful. Well, Andrea, if you don't have any more questions for Kirsten, well, certainly yeah. not that we can fit in this episode, I will say thank you ever so much <laughs> for your time, Kirsten. We know that um, you are really busy with everything at the fermentation school and all your other stuff. So we really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to us. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's uh, It's been lovely to talk to you both. Wonderful. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation. Come find us on Instagram, Andrea's at Farm and Hearth and Allison's at Ancestral underscore Kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun exploration and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen. <laughs>